Hello and welcome to Vibrant Lives Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to your health and well-being, featuring interviews with experts in relation to nutrition, physical health, mental health, and my five-minute food facts series, which are short episodes where I discuss nutrition-related topics. I'm Amanda Hayes, your host. I'm a lawyer turned nutritionist, and I'm on a quest to learn as much as I possibly can about living a healthy, active, and fulfilling life, which I would call a vibrant life, and sharing what I learn with you here on this podcast. The health and nutrition space can be a confusing one, where information and misinformation mingle, and untangling fact from fiction and identifying reliable, trustworthy sources of information is not always straightforward. My aim is to help you do that by speaking with knowledgeable guests who can explain their area of expertise in an accessible way and provide you with practical tips that you can use to improve your own well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I'll quickly acknowledge that any information or advice provided in Vibrant Lives podcast is not intended to be used to treat or prevent any medical conditions, and it's never a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today, I'll admit I am a little bit starstruck because I am here with Sarah Gross. Sarah is an Ironman champion, and during her years of professional competition, she had numerous podium finishes. Notably, in 2014, she won Ironman Brazil in a cracking time of 8 hours 56 minutes. For anyone who knows anything about Ironman, or even if you don't, I'll tell you that cracking the 9-hour mark is a really extraordinary feat. Sarah also studied a PhD in women's history, and these days, combining her two passions, professional sport and women's roles within that space, she is the founder and CEO of Feisty. Feisty is a women-led media network dedicated to storytelling, critical thinking and community. Feisty has a stable of women-focused podcasts, including Hit Play Not Pause, which is one dedicated to menopause, and I really love it. It's so interesting. Uh, They also have Iron Women by Feisty, Mental Endurance with Vanessa Faye Forster, and most recently, Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, which is hosted by Sarah herself. So today, Sarah is on the other side of the microphone, so to speak. Feisty also hosts events like the upcoming Women's Performance Summit and we'll talk a bit about that during the podcast and you can find out how you can sign up for that fantastic sounding event with some great speakers like Dr. Stacey Sims. Stacey Sims is a collaborator of Sarah's and she does amazing work studying and understanding women's physiology and how that plays into sports performance. It is an area that is understudied, no surprise there, And from a personal point of view, I've found her work extremely valuable. Anyway, that's enough from me. Time to meet Sarah Gross. So today I am here with Sarah Gross, who is an Ironman champion and the founder and CEO of Feisty Media. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on Vibrant Lives podcast today. And Sarah, I thought it would be nice to start with some quick fire questions to get to know a little bit about you outside your role as um, Iron Woman champion, advocate for women in sport and CEO of Feisty Media and podcast host. You do a lot of things. So Sarah, where did you grow up? Um, Okay. I grew up in a mid-sized town in Ontario, Canada um, until I was 14. And then my family moved to the Middle East. So I lived in a, an also a mid-sized town kind of inland from Dubai in United Arab Emirates. And my family stayed there for 20 years. Right. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) So does that mean that you were sent off to go to university um, away from there? Yeah, I actually, prior to that, I went to a boarding school in Scotland for my last year in high school, uh, which was super fun and a good escape from my family. Um, and then, yeah, and then I went back to Canada for university. Wow, that's interesting. You've lived in some very diverse places, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. It was, you know, at the beginning, because I was a teenager moving to the Middle East, which is like a kind of a 
strange and unique experience. And it was really difficult to adjust culturally. Um, but I'm really, really glad that I have that experience now because it just, it took me out of the security and safety that I had growing up in like a middle-class Canadian environment. And I had to learn really quickly, like, okay, the world is quite different at different places. And it really opened my eyes and changed who I am. I agree. um, We lived in Hong Kong for 10 years and my Mm. children had that same experience too. I think it's just a, it broadens your horizons, I think. Um, Yeah. And anyway, back to our quick fire questions. We're not being very quick on the quick fire. (laughs) Sorry. Your go-to meal for dinner. Oh, um, I don't know if you want athlete Sarah to answer or now Sarah, because now Sarah's like burgers and pizza kind of girl. And what, um, what was athlete Sarah? Athlete Sarah would be more like steak and sweet potatoes and salad or stir fry. Um, I still love those meals also, but there's a bit more um, burgers and salad kind of mixed in. Yeah, a bit more leniency, I guess. <laughs> totally. Are you reading anything at the moment? Uh, yeah, I'm reading Invisible Woman um, by Caroline Coriado Perez, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, it's a wonderful book about how um, it's basically like a feminist lens on how technology and how we've and how we like have excluded studies on women from um, a lot of product um, right. development. And it's really interesting, like how even like crash test dummies for our for mm-hmm. our vehicles are done on like the average side, the crash test dummies, the size of the average size man. And so more wow. women actually end up with injuries in automobile crashes. Like there, it's these crazy things that you think, oh my gosh, like our society actually is kind of designed for men in a way. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is so interesting. I mean, we will get to that in terms of sports science, but it's uh, much more pervasive than that. Obviously just everything. We've got a lot of work to do. We do. Yep. That's what we're here for. (laughs) And are you enjoying listening to anything at the moment? Music, podcast, audio book? Uh, I have, you know, I have a lot of like girl power rap on my, (laughs) on my run, my run playlist. Uh, But I do listen to podcasts. I love, um, like I actually, this is like a this is don't tell anyone oh, I'm saying it on a podcast, but I love Gary V what he's doing right now. Um, he's definitely like focused in on um, using empathy as a tool for business building and wow. marketing. Uh, and it's uh, yeah, his content is incredible. And I'm, I'm, and he comes out with a podcast every day. So it's great. Oh, um, or That's the sense. knowledge project is another one that I really like uh, kind of a deep dive into um, different ways of thinking about the world. Oh, it scratches my intellectual academic kind of itch that I get every once in a while. Great. Oh, I'll look into those. They sound really good. And do you ever relax? And do you have a favorite way to relax? <laughs> um, I do relax. Actually, now exercising has become part of my relaxation, mm. like as a former pro athlete. So um, I run, I do trail running. Um, and so that's that's part of it. Or I walk, you know, I'll do, I'll sometimes just go for a walk with my partner or on a call or listen to a podcast. Um, and then like simple stuff like Netflix (laughs) or hanging out with friends. Yeah. And, uh, do you have a dream holiday destination? Mm, I'm going to go with Hawaii on that one. Um, probably a boring answer, but I love it. We had the Ironman world championship there every year. So I've sort of been there pandemic aside, I've been to Hawaii probably every year for 15 years. So. Oh, wow. So you've been there both as an athlete and as a, uh, in quotes, tourist? Yes. Athlete, yeah. tourist, and also as part of the media for the event. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Sarah, let's talk about your sporting background. So I'm curious about how you found your way into triathlon because you are a bit younger than me, but when we were growing up, triathlon was a bit of a fringe kind of sport. It mm-hmm. wasn't, certainly didn't have the high profile then that it does have today. So mm-hmm. what were you, what sports were you involved in growing up before you found triathlon? Yeah. So part of my journey is the fact that we moved to the Middle East. So I was a soccer player in Canada, which is a big girl sport in Canada. And uh, when we moved, there wasn't the same high level of sport for women 
just in the Middle East in general. We did have sports, but that's when I started to do more sport on my own. So I would swim laps just because I enjoyed it or go running. I used to run like five Ks with my dad, you know, when I was 16 years old. Um, and so that's when my love of those individual sports um came in. And then when I went to university, I was on the swim team. And I remember there was a girl who was uh, going to the world championship for, for triathlon. And I just thought this was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. (laughs) Like imagine being good at three sports. Right. And then I volunteered for my last year of university. I volunteered for the, for the local triathlon. So that was kind of like the first time triathlon came into my view. Mm -hmm. I was actually university and I volunteered. And I remember seeing, again, there weren't, it wasn't that popular a sport and there really weren't that many women doing it. And the the few women that I saw coming through the transition, like from swim to run the trips from swim to bikes, Sorry, the first transition, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I really want to do this. And then I did my first triathlon the next year. Fantastic. And what was that like, your first triathlon? Um, well, because I had been swimming and running since I was 16, I had this massive gap in the on the bike. Yeah. And um I, and I also, I didn't really enjoy cycling that much. So I had bought a bike, but it was, I think the distance of the race was 30 Ks. And that just seemed like a really, really long way. (laughs) So beforehand I had gone out for a couple bike rides where I would do like 10 K or 20 K I did 30 K a couple of times, but it was definitely a bit of a baptism of fire in terms of, um, coming out of the water in a reasonably good position and then just being passed by hundreds of people. (laughs) on the bike and then finding my legs again on the run. Like, I don't know if, um, you know, maybe some of your listeners remember what it's like to run off the bike for the first time. I had that experience during a race, you know, where your legs are wobbly and yeah. Really hard, isn't it? To me, that's the hardest part of a triathlon is that I know you you practice and you improve at it, but it's still hard for me anyway, that, 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 um, bike to run. Yeah. It's an adaptation for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then you became, uh, years down the track, you became a pro triathlete and you competed in a huge number of races and you actually won several Ironmans. So that, I think that's amazing and congratulations. And it might be hard to answer this, but do you have some career highlights as a professional triathlete? Mm, Yeah, I definitely do. Um, There's you know, when I won my first Ironman, I was 38 years old. So it took me 10 years of racing pro to actually win. Um, I had won a couple other championship races before at the long course distance, but I hadn't been able to be in the right place at the right time to win Ironman. You know, mm-hmm. it was like I came second and third and I knew it was going to happen eventually. Um, and then I won Ironman Brazil in 2014. And after the race, there was a video of me stuck behind a massive pack of South American men on the road. Right. right? And the, uh, in a very popular triathlon forum, um, there was, they, they were talking about, they essentially talked about how I was like cheating, um, and drafting, um, which I was like, honestly, I was probably, I probably raced too clean. I was, I used to like keep those drafting rules to the, you know, and it really upset me. Um, cause I had tried for so long to win. And so yeah. three months later, I went to Ironman Mont-Tremblant, which is here in Canada. Um, and it's a hilly course on the bike. There's, you know, it was a very, very, it was a course where like, drafting wasn't going to help you anyway, even if mm-hmm. you wanted to do it. So I, and I won that race and, yeah, yeah. um, very cleanly and, um, and that really was, that felt really, really good. Cause I had yeah. sort of proved my doubters. Um, yeah. it was also in Canada. So I love that home winning and home territory thing too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, well done because it's sometimes I think facing up to that criticism must've been, you know, quite crushing. You'd work so hard to win the race and then people say that you're essentially drafting. So yeah, that would have been very, very hard to handle. I imagine. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I felt like something was being taken away from me. Your win didn't perhaps feel as legitimate as it should have. Right. And then the other factor that was, was playing into at the time was that, um, people were like, oh, look, like she, you know, she wasn't 
able to do to run as fast in another week. Like there was this, we're going to talk about female performance later. I know, but like there was this misunderstanding about how as women we have, like we tend to have different types of performance days as we go through our cycles. And I don't think like 2014, it's like eight years ago, we didn't, that information wasn't public right? Like we didn't talk about it in a way that we do now. People didn't, even our coaches didn't have, we didn't have that information. So um, that was the other thing too, is this like expectation of consistency. Like yeah. that if I ran really well at this one race, well, I must've cheated <laughs> because, yeah. because I didn't run as well at a different race. And that's just, that logic just doesn't make any sense. Of course not. And we will get into that. Just while we're still on triathlon, do you have a favorite distance to race or did, mm. did you have? It depends when you ask me. I was, I think I would probably say that I love shorter distance because I love fast and furious. Um, but physiologically, I'm better at the longer distance and definitely was better at running long off the bike right. um, physically. So you, there's a, there's, it's fun to be able to overtake people in the back yeah. half of the race. You know, that's, it's fun. But if I was going to do one now, just for pure joy, I would choose a short race. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive commitment um, training for a full. Right, that too. (laughs) Yeah. And favorite race location? Oh, I loved racing in Europe. I think I loved, like in in Austria and Klagenfurt, and there's like beer gardens everywhere along the course. There's like 100,000 people out there cheering you on. Or in Zurich and Switzerland, same thing. Like, I felt like I was racing in the Tour de France you know, and when you're one of the first women coming through too, like you get those extra cheers from the crowd. Um, so that I like laughed up. I loved it. The energy of that helps you get through an Ironman for sure. Oh, for sure. I think with any (laughs) race, if there's spectators there, it it just gives you such a boost. And if Mm -hmm. you've got a, you know, um, a race number with your name on it and people are calling out your name, it just, oh, it's so wonderful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And I, I prefer when they put my first name on when they're starting, when it says gross across my <laughs> deck. It's not as good. <laughs> and do you, what's your favorite try leg? Mm, running. It has to be running. It was definitely the thing I was best at, but also it's it's last. So you're near the end, right? Yeah. And it's fun. Like I said, it's it's a better place to be, to be overtaking people at the end than to be just hoping to hold on. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. My my favorite leg is uh, swimming because that's what I'm best at, mm. but that gives you the least advantage, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, swimming's a good one to be good at because it's like there's a confidence that comes with that. Yeah. Like at least you're not freaking out as you as you get in yeah. the water or some things people go through. I know it's really hard for some people. Yeah, especially if it's mm-hmm. rough. There's been a few races I've done where it's been really rough and that some people feel terrified by that, whereas I think, oh, that's fun. <laughs> right. So I do want to come back to the issue of women's performance in triathlon and sport generally. But before we do that, I'd like to just ask you a few questions about your academic career because that ties in with what you're doing these days. Mm, So you have an interest in women's experiences that go beyond sport. And at university, you completed a PhD in women's history. So what motivated you to study women's history? Interesting. I was I was someone who had observed since I was very young that there was a discrepancy of opportunity for women and and girls, and I definitely felt it was unfair. Like I was I was a little kid who was like the boys can do it, I can do it, you know. Um, and so I had I often talk about it at time when I was with my dad at his office. He was the he was the VP at like a local college, and I noticed that like the men all had offices around the exterior of the building where they had windows and big offices and the women were working kind of in the middle. Like they were the support staff. And that was like, generally, like, I know there was one woman in another VP position and, but there's certainly like that gender divide was pretty clear to me. And I observed that I was maybe seven or eight. And I thought there's something wrong here. Like, this is not how I feel in the world. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like I want to be the person in the perimeter office with the big windows. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of that that observation kind of like framed a lot of my interests and decisions too, um, especially when it came to my PhD. And then realizing that the way that we 
um, the way that we observe history and tell history is also through a male lens. So yeah. like there's, if no one goes in and asks questions, like what were the women doing or how did women contribute to whatever period of history you're looking at, then like someone has to do that work. Right. Yeah. So that was, um, that was kind of why I, I chose that direction. And what was your PhD topic on? Um, so I, I did work on the ancient world. So like for first and second century. Um, so I compared and contrasted, uh, communities in the Mediterranean, uh, a Jewish community, a Greek community and a early Christian community to see, um, what women did in each of those communities. And then like take that feminist lens of like who had the most relative freedoms, um, by our sort of feminist framing of what freedoms look like. So, um, yeah, it was kind of, it was, it was pretty interesting. It's hard to find information about the ancient yeah, world. What I was thinking when you were saying that it must be quite hard because as you say, women, everything was done through a male lens. So there probably wasn't a lot of documentation mm-hmm. about women's roles. Even a lot of the written work from back then, like you didn't have that many women who were educated enough yeah. to actually write and to tell mm-hmm. the story. Um, so you're often dealing with things like um, looking at the kinds of, bowls that people would use to cook or um, the way houses were arranged um, archaeologically or uh, or like epitaphs, tombstones, what yeah. they say on them. You know, um, you had some interesting things like you'd have like a woman's name and then head of the synagogue. Right. And then right. you can go and look for that name elsewhere in the literature and see if you could find out something about her. For example. So it's a detective work as well. Detective. Definitely. Yeah. That's a great word. Yeah. It's definitely detective work. Wow. That's interesting. Which society did you find had the most freedoms in terms of the way we would view women's freedoms now? Yeah, actually, surprisingly, my conclusion was that um, the women who came from the traditional Jewish communities had more freedoms. And I don't know whether I suspect um, that that's partially because of like kind of what the Jews went through at that time in history. And they were actually being persecuted by the Romans, um, the Greeks and the Romans, like under the Roman, well, what became the Roman Empire mm. um, at the time, the Greek Empire. So sometimes in in persecuted communities, it's like an all hands on deck situation yeah. in terms of in terms of the roles that people play in in their own um, environment. So, yeah, I found like it's it's sort of hard to make those judgments, but yeah. I think if you ask the right questions, um, you get sort of a different set of answers. Um, and so, like one thing, like what I mean by that is that, like for example, like before, I don't know, before there were any women who did history, who looked at history, there were, we had archeological digs of Jewish synagogues, right? And then the historians decided, oh, this is the women's area, right? Well, which would be like a small area off to the side. (laughs) And then like somebody has to come along and go, well, why? Like, why did we assume that that's a women's area? Do we know that, that men and women didn't mix at the time? Do we know, like, how do we know that, right? And when you start asking different questions, you get different answers. Basically. Yeah, that's really interesting and, and important work because a lot of those initial assumptions must have been made through the lens of, you know, the way we see the world now and the way we assume that history was that women had a lesser role. Mm-hmm. And I think we we do, we make that false assumption that like women's freedoms are just gradually getting more and more. Like as if, as if yeah. it's like an even thing that's, that's improving consistently across time. And that's just not the case. Everything cycles, right? So there were times when um, women would have had a bigger role in certain societies and then other times when we were more oppressed and it, it goes like that. Yeah, and, and different societies are different too. I mean, there are some matriarchal societies out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not one, as you say, one consistent like line of increased freedoms. Right, exactly. So let's um, move on to women's performance in sport. And Mm -hmm. you've mentioned the first Ironman that you won in Brazil. A week before that, you were competing in Texas. Mm -hmm. And in that race, you came 18th. And you say that you kind of knew instinctively that your body wasn't um, in Texas. It wasn't feeling quite right. And you knew that a week later in Brazil, you were feeling better. You actually say on your website, I love this, so I'm going to have to quote you here. I didn't know what the hell was going on with my body. My coaches didn't know. My doctors didn't know. Heck, sports science didn't even know. The little we did know was all bad news about how hormones get in the way of our performance. No one ever thought to ask, 
How can I mitigate the negative effects of my cycle through nutrition or training adaptions and actually perform? And that's pretty much what was happening for you at the time, wasn't it? You, When you raced in Brazil and won, it was timed with your cycle in such a way that you were at the peak of your performance. Yeah. So let's let's talk about how come we don't know enough about women's performance um, and how it ties in with our cycles. So one of the issues is that the scientific study of athletes has virtually ignored women. I think only 6% of exercise science studies have been done exclusively on women. Why is this? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, um, I think the easy answer to that is because it was long understood and accepted that, um, that hormone cycles were going to interrupt, taking into account our hormone cycles, we're going to interrupt the purpose of the study, right? So women were considered kind of an anomaly. Like you actually see that word in the literature, even though we're 50% of the population, an anomaly for a sports science study. So it was like, okay, if we just study men, then we're going to find out what's really happening. (laughs) And that was a kind of an accepted norm. Like I even, um, I got rejected from a sports science study and when I was living in Scotland, they did a call out for, um, for runners. And I think there was, there was some kind of time they wanted like elite runners. And I was living at the, um, national training center for a lot of sports. So there were a lot of elite runners there. And it was like, they, we had to run a certain speed for 10 K to, to be able to be part of the study. And some of my male counterparts, like on the Scottish national team for triathlon had been, have done studies before as a way to earn extra income. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll go, I'll be part of this study. And then I think, first of all, a couple of things happened. One, because they had put this super fast, not super fast, but relatively fast 10 K time as your, as the qualifying, they didn't expect any women to be, to come forward. And then I was rejected because they're like, well, sorry, like your cycle might affect, like your hormone cycle might affect your performance in the study. And we don't want that to like, and, and me, I was doing a PhD in women's history and it didn't even occur to me. I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, like at the time I had just like, I had also been indoctrinated in the culture in a way yeah. that's like, oh, it wasn't until years later that, and I sort of, you know, I read Roar by Dr. Stacey Sims and started to think oh, like, oh, right. Of course. Like if we don't take hormone cycles into account, how do we know how women perform? Like, how do we know if any of the information that we even have in sport and exercise science applies to us? Like, we just don't know. Um, so that's also, there was also, I also had an arc on that of, of realizing, oh, wait a second, um, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because as you mentioned, um, Dr. Stacy Sims, and uh, one of her, her sort of catch cries, I suppose, is women are not small men. And I absolutely love that. So what she means by that is, what what do people say? You you pink it and shrink it. So you take a study that's done on men and you th- think, okay, women are just like men, but a little bit smaller. So we'll just, you know, reduce the amounts or whatever, and then apply it to women. But of course, that's not the way things work. There are a multitude, I think, of problems with um, treating women athletes like small men. Um, of course, not taking into account our unique physiology is is one of them. So can you talk to us a bit about what what comes up? What are the problems with women not being studied specifically in sport? Wow. What isn't a problem? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's like if we haven't studied women, we don't really know. Like we actually don't, it's actually exciting in a way because in a, in a way it's like, okay, only 6% of studies, exercise science studies done on exclusively on women. Okay. That's not a lot. Right. But also there's a long way to go and there's a lot to learn. And some of the studies that are coming out now, um, some of like Stacy's work, and there's like a groundswell of people coming up behind Stacy, yeah. like the folks who are doing PhDs and really looking into um, the physiology and nutrition side of women's performance. So I think we're about to get this sort of cascade of information. Um, and then just the way that science works, of course, it's going to shift and change over time. So, like, what we think we know now is going to continue to evolve, but at least we're like on the first rung. You know, like before there wasn't even a ladder. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's where I think, I think essentially, I think it affects to answer your question. Like, I think the fact that we don't have those studies actually affects everything. 
Yeah. Right. And actually means that like listening to our instincts and telling our stories becomes the first step of figuring out like where we need to go next and what we need to look into. And that's like back to the story of Texas versus Texas. Like that was, those races were eight days apart in Ironman, Texas and Ironman Brazil. And I ran an hour faster eight days later. Like that's not a fitness thing. That was just me being in my luteal phase and feeling flat. Right. And so when I, um, not just feeling flat, but like performing flat, like my hormones cannot do it. Um, and so I think what I meant when I was like, are there certain, I think what we're going to learn moving forward is like, are there things that I can do to actually, um, to actually help me perform during that flat luteal phase. Um, and I think we're going to find answers to that. We just don't know what they are right now. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really exciting. And I mean, I'm in my fifties now and I read Raw by Stacey Sims recently and then went on to do her menopause for athletes course, because mm-hmm. for me, it was such a wake up call. I, it was, it was like a light bulb moment explaining how some days I felt great and I feel like I could run forever. And other days I feel like I'd never run before in my life. You know, every step mm-hmm. was hard work. On the basis of that, actually, I've changed up my training. I've um, added in some heavy or two two days a week of lifting heavy shit, as Stacey mm-hmm. would put it, and mm-hmm. added in some plyo work as well. And nice. I have to say, I'm really finding it's benefiting me I'm feeling a lot stronger so I'm very grateful to to Stacy for and you for bringing that out into the world you know I'm someone who's I mean obviously not a professional like you were but I'm I live and breathe this stuff I love it and I didn't even know I mean it didn't even occur to me until recently that of course you know training with your cycle it makes total sense but it just mm-hmm. The information just hasn't been available for us, I think. So as you said, we're kind of at the beginning of we're on the first rung of the ladder, Mm -hmm. um, which is great because we're no longer going to be ignored by science. So do you feel hopeful about the future in that sense? I do. I definitely feel hopeful. Um, The other factor there is to do with like who funds the research mm-hmm. and like where that money comes from and how they, and how they make decisions about what research gets done. So I think like what we're seeing too in like in business and finance is that women are controlling more of the money also just broadly, broadly speaking. Yeah. So I think we'll see like those things change together where we'll be able to say, Hey, look, women's not just sports science, but like women's health in yeah. general, like it, it matters in terms of even the, the medical studies too. Um, and we're seeing, Uh, For example, women's health is being heavily funded right now in terms of startups and VC funding, right? So those like products, that's everything from like studies, products, all of that stuff. It's, it's about to hit. Yay. (laughs) About time, hey? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about Feisty Media. You founded and you're the CEO of Feisty Media. You founded it in 2017. And that was based or driven by your own experience as a female athlete and a person, obviously, with an academic interest of women in society. And you saw that women had only a fraction of the opportunities that men do in professional sport, and also Mm -hmm. that girls drop out at twice the rate of of boys. Mm -hmm. And you were thinking, okay, a cultural shift is needed. So you founded Feisty Media. So can you tell us a little bit about that? First of all, what's your vision for Feisty Media and and what do you do there? Mm. Yeah, it's a bit of a... You, you said my goal very well. <laughs> maybe, I should, maybe I should hire you. Yeah. So our goal is to create an empowering culture for active women broadly, which is like kind of like, how do you do that? Right. Um, so for us, like we do that in a variety of ways. Uh, one is through the, the podcast. We have eight podcasts yeah. now. Um, and that it's just essentially like talking to um, talking to women about our experiences, bringing in experts to, to like Stacey Sims and whomever to actually break down like the science and what we can use, um, what's relevant to us as women. Um, and then, so we have that, like the media side, social media. Um, and then we also create educational products. Mm-hmm. So we do courses. Um, we partner with Stacy on her brand. Um, and we have events as well that are typically educational events. So we have um, our Women's Performance Summit, which is coming up March 25th to 27th. Um, we also have a menopause summit, the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit that that happened for a couple of years in Arizona until we got um, 
until we went virtual the last couple of years. Um, But again, that's really just about all about shifting that culture within triathlon. Um, So it's about, it's, it's about like how we become better female athletes, but also how we can grow our businesses in the triathlon endurance sports space, um, how we can become better coaches for women in terms of using the information that we know about physiology and applying it to training programs. So it's kind of a broad, um, yeah, kind of broad topic around with triathlon. Um, so events, podcasts, social media, um, the online courses, we have a new, this year, uh, we're, we're launching our new coaching product. So we're oh doing my. a beta around, yeah, for coaches around um, in our four pillars. So our four pillars of performance are physiology and nutrition, mental health and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're creating a small course that coaches could take to learn, to, to learn like not quite as in-depth as like what Stacy does in her like deep dive into physiology, but more just like a basic level that any coach could fig- could learn how to work with female athletes better. Um, so that's one oh, thing fantastic. we're doing. Fantastic. I think mm-hmm. that's really needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, and the coaches themselves are saying that's what they want, right? Yeah. Like that's been something that we've done is like, instead of, because we're a media company, we like led with community, right? So we were like talking to people all the time, creating podcasts and like talking to the community first before we decided, like, we didn't even know what products we were going to create. Like we didn't yeah. even know what we were going to sell when we started the company basically. Um, and so that's kind of like, kind of by accident actually been a good way to grow a business because it's like, we listen to the community and we mm. say, Hey, what, what do you need? Or we hear what people are talking about. Then we say, okay, great. Like let's have a women's performance summit. Cause it feels like there's a need to like vet the experts, bring people in and learn about women's performance. So then we did that or with this coaching product, it's the same thing. Like the coaches are actually kind of going, uh, we like, we want to learn more. How do we learn more? Right. And we're like, okay, great. We'll find the people and we'll help you learn more. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So tell me a bit about the annual women's performance summit that's coming up. You said it's in March. Yeah, it's the 25th to 27th of March and it's uh it's virtual. So, um we started virtual we had the first we had the first one last year and it was virtual for obvious reasons, but our community asked for virtual again. So, we're still online and we um essentially we have about 20 experts coming who will speak in our four pillars, physiology, nutrition, mental health and culture. Um we also have like some super exciting keynotes. Um, that we just announced. So we've got right. Amelia Boone, the world yep. champion obstacle course racer. We have Alison Desir, who just launched her book about, um, I think running while black or black girls do run. It, it's something like that, um, her movement. And then we have Lail Wilcox, who um, won outright race across America, the long bike race. Yeah. So we have some really fun keynotes and also we chose our keynotes specifically, um, choosing people who have like stories who have been open about their stories. So maybe they've struggled with an eating disorder or like those culture physiology pieces have, have affected them personally and they're willing to talk about it. Um, so that those are the types of things we're putting on the main stage. And then, um, for our we have panel discussions. So we're bringing together people who can like unpack, like we're going to unpack body image, I think in a big way at this one. Um, so yeah, I think, and and last year was really fun. Like the weekend was just like the virtual platform we use, it's called Hopin. So it's not like a zoom call right? It's like you're interacting. There's expo booths. You can go and visit the speakers after their talk. Um, it's just like, we try to make it as interactive as possible to keep people engaged and actually want to stare at a screen for, for five hours a day on the weekend. I think that's great doing it virtually because it means someone like me in Australia in a completely different time zone right. can, can participate. And also I yeah. think you offer a package where you can access the materials um, for up to a year or something. And that's perfect for someone like me because some of the times are going to be in the middle of the night, obviously, and I won't be able to <laughs> be awake. So I can yeah. then access it the next day or, or mm-hmm. whenever. So that's a great um, innovation as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we found that a lot of people like that too, or that people were going back and watching the the summit sessions afterwards too. Like they already, they attended the summit and they want to see it later too yeah. so um yeah it's a you can have it for a year if you buy the all access pass yeah oh that's great i'll put a link to that obviously in the show notes so you mentioned also that you have eight podcasts and i've listened to quite a few of them over the last few weeks but you have 
your own within that you have your own podcast called Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's quite new. I think you've just done an introductory episode and then three more. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your goals for that podcast. What are you trying to uh, what message are you trying to get out? Yeah. So the the goals for that podcast are very similar to the goals for our summit. So we really I think what we saw was that there's a lot of BS out there that people trying to sell, like women's things are popular right now. Like it's a cool for a company to focus on, to make something pink, like you said before, shrink it and pink it, sell it to women. Right. So we, we thought, you know, let's try to vet some of these, some of the so-called experts and try to get some quality information so people can know that they're getting real information that's going to help them to thrive and to perform. Um, And so in whatever sport, Right. Um, so, and also the other really important thing I think for us is that we take a multidisciplinary approach. So I know that like, for example, my Instagram feed right now is full of, um, talk about how to train with your menstrual cycle, right. Which is really important. And we talked about that earlier, but that's not the only thing, right. Like how we see our bodies affects how we eat. It affects our mental health and our, even just our state of mind affects our training, like all of these things work together. So we wanted to create an environment where we can talk about those things at all together instead of like isolating them into individual factors. So that is something that we're, that I'm doing through the podcast. Um, and that we're also doing at the summit. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier that you have four pillars, the physical nutrition, mental health and culture. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely love culture being one of your pillars, because that's probably something that isn't really looked at. But we're all performing under the umbrella of the culture that we live in. So it's it's so important, isn't it, to understand how women fit in and, you know, where we're going, where we've come from. Mm-hmm. So I love that about your, what you're doing. In fact, the latest um, podcast I listened to with Christy Moan, you talked about um, just that about culture and how she's an advocate for not just women but non-binary cyclists and she's she's creating this really inclusive culture so that was a great episode so thank you mm-hmm. for that one mm-hmm. yeah thank, I loved my conversation with Christy too um I well you know it's funny and thank you for saying that about the culture piece because when we ask people what they want, like we, we so, sort of in some of our groups went in and said, here's the four pillars. What do you want to hear more of? And everyone always says physiology and nutrition, mm. right? But in practical terms, when you, when you bring up a conversation like about body image, for example, which for me would fit under the culture pillar, um, you, everybody wants to talk about that. It's like the forgotten, it's like, oh, we're finally naming something yeah. that like, we've got these internalized notions around body image or around diet culture. Like people in reality, we do want to, I think, talk about it in that multi-layered way. Like it's hard to create a nutrition program right? For yourself as an athlete without unpacking all the things, all the hangups that we have about yeah. food, yeah. right? Um, so I think those things definitely go together. Yeah, absolutely. They do. Um, the, the second episode you'd had um, Taylor, I'm not sure if I'll pronounce this properly, Tracy or Tracy, um, <laughs> who talked about, or she was a volleyballer and she talked about diet culture and what an impact that had on her own well, not just her own performance, but her whole life, actually. I found mm-hmm. that an absolutely fascinating episode. And it made me think, gosh, there's probably so many women who are facing issues like this, but it's it's not talked about so much. So I, I really loved that episode. She was, she was a terrific speaker. So thank you mm-hmm. again for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Taylor was great. And she I think it's, I think a lot of people have this perception that, that elite athletes are kind of born with this natural physique, mm. right? But the, the reality is that there's more eating disorders amongst female athletes than the regular population, where that's because of that internalized expectation around what your body's going to look like yeah. as an elite athlete. And it's really problematic. Like we need to learn to feed our bodies, fuel our bodies properly and perform at whatever weight our, our bodies want to be at. Yeah, it's such an important message to get out there for us as women to fuel our training properly and and just feel good about, you know, who we are and whatever weight we happen to be. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. So I guess it's probably time to to start wrapping up our conversation. So Sarah, do you still, I think you've actually answered this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, do you still race triathlons? (laughs) 
Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. I'm not against it. You know, I could see myself doing a triathlon. I have kept two bikes. So I still have a road bike and a gravel bike that I, that I can go out for a ride. If someone invites me, if it's, if it's a social time. Um, so I could see myself doing one, but I do now I do CrossFit, yeah. um, for that fun community thing. And yeah. also to be able to fit in my exercise into a short period of time. So I like to go there go hard and leave. Um, and part of my reason for that too, is what you said earlier. Like I'm a little bit into perimenopause now. Um, and just knowing that like lifting heavy shit as well as doing that plyometric training and stuff, that's all helping me. And you just get that automatically if you go to CrossFit. So that's just me kind of checking that box. Um, and I love it. So, yeah, it's a very efficient way, as you say, of training, like there for an hour or whatever it is. And you just get it all done. My sisters, I call it a cult <laughs> in the CrossFit cult. <laughs> yeah. It's, you're not totally wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> um, had, I think, uh, in Australia anyway, once you've done a thousand sessions, you get a, you get a workout named after you. So mm-hmm. she's had one named after her. She's, she's really into it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. She's what's, so what's her workout? Do you know what it is? I'll ask her and I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> okay. Interestingly, she is going to, we're both going to do a half Ironman together later in the year. So her training is going to have to change up a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. um, because of that. But she's she's starting from a really strong base. Mm, yeah, for sure. I think that strength that you, that you have in that. And also like, there's a lot of lactic threshold type training that's yeah. baked into CrossFit. So it's just about doing the long stuff, I think. Yeah, uh, exactly. Sarah, who inspires you? Oh, you know, I saw that question when you sent the questions through. I always struggle with this one because the truth is, like, to some extent, everybody expire, uh, inspires me, right? Like, I, I definitely, um, I especially like growing my business, but I look at people and I think, like, I, I like to see the best in people. Well, I do kind of automatically. And so I find myself inspired by any, anyone that's better at me at something, right? Whether that's, parenting or something simple, like the way that uh, people are with other people, their people skills, um, just little things I observe. I try to like take in little things um, rather than have anyone on a pedestal, you know, Um, all the people that work with me are brilliant in their own way too. You know, I really love what Celine does with the hit play, not pause podcast Um, or Catherine who works with us. Who's like, she's just like transforming our organization and getting all the communications, you know, working through the teams. And so, you know, I, I'm just, I'm inspired by everyday people all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. I love that. So you look, you observe and you think, um, that person's doing a certain thing really well and you, you notice and perhaps learn from it. I love that. Mm -hmm. My final question, Sarah, that I like to ask all of my guests is if you could recommend two things, they could be anything at all, that people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? Okay, so my first one is to listen to your instincts. Um, this one's specifically for women too, because of everything we just talked about. Because mm-hmm. of the lack of, like, even the experts who think they know something about women's health or about training, really, there's so far to go that like our instincts are probably the most important tool yeah. that we have. Um, so there's that. And then I think my second thing would be just to, um, to apply empathy to all situations in, in our life. So like, as if we can look at other people, like even, um, we started, for example, we started having trolls on feisty because Mm -hmm. I'm very proud. We're now big enough to have trolls, (laughs) but, but like to think about when, if someone's trolling your content and they come onto your Instagram to say something negative about you, like think of how bad that person's life must be. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I can have a ton of empathy for that. Cause I'm like, really, this is how you're choosing to spend your time. Like they must be how they're expressing their frustrations to you is only just a fraction of like how they feel about themselves right? So I think if we like all went through life like that, just understanding that like real life and online trolls are just that, or anyone who's angry at us unnecessarily, um, then I think we can, um, I think we ourselves can be happier too, right? Because yeah. then li- people's little be- little behaviors don't necessarily get us down. And I think too, I mean, I'm not big enough to have trolls yet, but <laughs> it's also being able to take a more objective view about it and not take it personally because these people don't actually know you 
Right. Um, and that must be difficult to do. But if you look at it through a lens of empathy, like you said, you can flip it and, and see it for what it is. Yeah, it's not about you, it's about them. Yeah, exactly. Can you let us know, Sarah, the best places for people who want to follow you and see what you're doing at Feisty Media and also um, where to sign up for your Women's Performance Summit? Okay, so for the Women's Performance Summit, just go to womensperformance.com. Super easy. I can't believe that URL was available. Wow. (laughs) Side note, that URL was like 500 bucks men's performance was also available and it was, it was like 10 times or 20 times the price. <laughs> so, it just says it, it tells, all there, doesn't it? Tells you something. So womensperformance.com and then at feisty underscore media, that's us on Instagram. Um, and for me, I'm sarah.gross on Instagram. I will put links to all of that um, in the show notes. So Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Vibrant Lives podcast today. I've absolutely loved talking to you and learning a bit more about women's performance and what we need where we need to go what we do know what we need to learn um, and also your personal journey so thank you so much for sharing with Mm. us today well thank you so much amanda i appreciate it that was sarah gross sharing with us about the important work she does advocating for and empowering women in sport it seems to me that there is an enormous and growing appetite for information specific to women, to enable us to train and perform in sync with our physiology and with our hormones. But this goes beyond sport. It's relevant to all women. It's time that science took an interest in us. It's time for us to understand how our cycles impact us physically and mentally. It's time for us to embrace and respect our bodies and all that they allow us to do. And Feisty Media is forging that path for us, so hooray to that. I'm really excited about this year, 2022. I've got some informative interviews lined up for you, including with Stephanie Noon, where we'll be talking about positive psychology and happiness. So keep an ear out for that one. Thank you so much for listening today. I do hope that you enjoyed today's episode with Sarah Gross. If you did, please share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow the audience of my podcast. So I'm always grateful when you tell your friends about Vibrant Lives podcast. If you could take a minute to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it will help people find my podcast. And that's great for me too. Please follow me on Instagram at vibrant underscore lives underscore podcast or on Facebook at Vibrant Lives Podcast and check out my website at www.vibrantlivespodcast.com. There you'll find a library of all my podcast episodes, reviews of books that I recommend that have something to do with health or well-being and more. So please DM me or send me an email via the contacts page on my website and let me know what you'd like to hear more of or if there's someone you'd like me to interview or if you just want to say hi. Thanks for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.